Greetings, and welcome back to a special Halloween edition of the Pop Punk Project. This week, we explore the spookiest pop punk album of all time, My Chemical Romance's The Black Parade. This episode is not for the faint of heart. Turn back now before it's too late. The rest of you may stage dive in, if you dare. <laughs> Keenan, I, I think we're good. I think um, what we can start. The special effects budget just ran out, and um, it's just our normal voices again. Oh, that's awkward. Whoopsies. <laughs> The Black Parade is the third studio album by My Chemical Romance, released on October 24, 2006, through Reprise Records and produced by Rob Cavallo. It is the band's only studio album to feature drummer Bob Breyer before his departure in 2010. The rest of the band remained unchanged from Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge. That's the Way Brothers, Gerard Way, who's the singer, Mikey Way, who's the bassist, and then the guitarists, Frankie Arrow and Ray Toro. The album has received generally favorable reviews by fans and critics. It debuted at number two on the Billboard 200 and is certified triple platinum in the United States, having sold 3 million copies in the U.S. as of 2016 and 4 million worldwide. It did receive favorable reviews, Mike, but I know that when you have a band like My Chemical Romance, they tend to be fairly polarizing. It's either a band that you love and are super committed to or you hate them. I feel like there's not a lot of people out there that are like lukewarm on them. Right. You have your opinion one way or the other. And some recent uh, updates on this album, Mike. In the year 2020, Rolling Stone ranked the album number 361 in their updated 500 greatest albums of all time, which is a pretty incredible feat because I was poking through there and I did not see too many pop punk or emo bands. Can you guess who the number one album of all time is? I was wondering if we reviewed any other albums that are on there. I bet you Dookie's on there somewhere. I didn't look through the whole list. I really wanted to sit down and do it. It was a lot. And yeah. there wasn't just like a, you had to like scroll through multiple pages. So it was kind of a hassle to actually go through. I hate like the 20 at a time. Is the number one album by the Beatles? It's not. Is it by the Rolling Stones? It's not. Is it by the Beach Boys? It's not. All those bands are obviously... They fill out like the top 10. Is it a band from that era or is it a band? Mm, it's not a band. It's a singer? Yeah. Jimi Hendrix? Nope. He's, Wait. I want <laughs> no, to say he's, he's an R&B singer. Michael Jackson? No. Stevie Wonder? No. Okay, I'm just going <laughs> to tell Prince? you. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you. Still... I don't know why I thought you'd be able to get that. That was clearly a shot in the dark, but... It's also not somebody that I was actually expecting. But I definitely have heard of him. Yeah, 100%. Can you give me his initials? MG. And it's not Machine Gun <laughs> without the Kelly. Michael? No. Matthew? 
Oh my god, okay. Miles? I'm just telling you. Miles I'm just Davis. telling you. <laughs> Marvin Gaye. It was his oh. 1971 album, What's Going On. Okay, I would not have gotten that. No, I know. That's why I had to shut that down pretty quickly. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't that quick. I know, it wasn't that quick. Uh, it was a fun guessing game, though. Yeah. I will say, though, that the the highest rated band that is tangentially related to pop punk was number six was nirvana's nevermind okay obviously they're more grunge but i think they inspired a lot of early uh pop punk emo bands yeah i think they definitely deserve that spot around there in the top 10 this was october 24th 2006 which by the way is really close to halloween 2006 what in the world's going on mike it's close to halloween keenan as we mentioned last week 15 years since this album came out. We didn't really plan it out that way, but a nice little anniversary. On October 3rd, the American drama series Friday Night Lights starring Kyle Chandler and Connie Britton premieres on NBC. Now, Mike, that's one that I know you love. It's one that I've definitely seen. I do love it. It's been a while since I've watched it, but that was just a great series from beginning to end. It had trouble finding traction when it was originally on the air. It was one of those shows that got moved around to different time slots and different nights a lot. And I don't even know if it finished its run on NBC or another channel. But yeah, Texas Forever, Clear Eyes, Full Hearts, Can't Lose, Matt Saracen, Landry, Riggins. Love it. You actually remember all those characters? They're timeless, yeah. Yeah, wow, that's nice. How many seasons? I think it was six, six or seven. That's significant, yeah. It's Five to seven, I'll say that. I know it was popular. I've never seen it, but I know that it was very popular at the time. It's definitely worth a watch. It's cool for the football and, you know, that side of it, but it's a pretty good drama in general, so. You come for the football, but you stay for the high school romance. That's right. Stay for the (laughs) high school romance and uh, Applebee's. They were always going to Applebee's after the games. That was like their hangout spot. I'm sure that's not a shameless plug or anything. It might have been, but they they fucking love Applebee's in that show. (laughs) You know, as we all do. Endless apps, right? Eating good in the neighborhood. On October 4th, the website WikiLeaks is launched, created by internet activist Julian Assange. (laughs) Now that's a website I know you love, Mike. Yeah, Keenan. I love seeing all the government secrets that get dropped on WikiLeaks. It's always fun, yeah. Seeing how much the government has screwed you this past year. It's so fun checking in for the latest dossiers on WikiLeaks. I do love a good dossier. A nice (laughs) juicy dossier. That's one of those sites where when something does come out on that, I need to read some articles to really dumb it down for me and see why I should care or why it's significant. Oh, yeah. I never read the uh, the primary sources on there. I just see the summaries of them. Yeah. I think that that's a whole interesting concept. Like, freedom of information is important. And then, of course, you know, you have the controversy surrounding what's dangerous to be putting out there and what should actually be kept top secret. But... For what it is, it's a pretty interesting site and definitely played a significant role in the cultural landscape over the past couple years. And Julian Assange is still um, in hiding, not hiding, but whatever they call it, where he's in some other country, so he can't be Asylum? arrested. Asylum, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's still bopping around. He's hanging out with Edward Snowden, I think. Yeah. and he's, guys are probably boys, right? He's married and has a kid, too. He's just, like wow. living his best life in Asylum. Hmm. Fun. Wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> some more <laughs> some more great uh, world news, Keenan. On October 9th, 
North Korea conducts its first nuclear test with an estimated yield of between 0.4 to 2 kilotons, which, as we know, Keenan, that's that's a lot. That's some serious kiloton yield there. <laughs> that is quite the yield. Man, that is some. That is a payload right there. 0.4 to 2 kilotons could be anywhere from very negligible, insignificant difference to very, very, very significant difference. Oh, yeah. Big time. Depending on the measurements of kilotons, which we're <laughs> familiar with, but don't want to get too detailed on. I just thought that having these two uh, very serious political news stories from October 2006 was kind of funny. It was like WikiLeaks drops. North Korea is testing their bombs. That was a stressful time for uh, for us 16-year-old Americans, wasn't it? I know that's all we could talk about. I remember oh, being yeah. in line waiting to take my driving test, and everybody was abuzz about North Korea and WikiLeaks. Oh, man, yeah. <laughs> that Kim Jong-un, what a crazy guy. I think he was in charge then, wasn't he? Or was uh, Kim Jong-il still in charge? I was wondering when Kim Jong-il passed away, but it's a shame we can't look something like that up. Nah, there's... There's no data on that. Doesn't exist. <laughs> let's liven it up a little bit, Mike. Let's let's go the uh, happier route here. On October 11th, the U.S. sitcom 30 Rock, created by and starring Tina Fey alongside Alec Baldwin and Tracy Morgan, first premieres on NBC. Wow. Now, Mike, that's a TV show I know you love. <laughs> <laughs> what a huge month for NBC. Friday Night Lights and 30 Rock in the same month. Yeah. Only like a week apart, too. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah, that was completely different genre than Friday Night Lights, but one of the best comedic shows of the past 10 or 20 years, I would say. There's a ton of one-liners and inside jokes where if you keep watching the series, it reminds me sort of of Arrested Development where you see new jokes during each rewatch that maybe you didn't catch the first time around. So really funny show. Please subscribe to Peacock and check out 30 Rock. (laughs) This whole podcast is just a NBC Peacock advertisement. Boom, boom, boom. Mike, can you guess what time it is now? Do I hear wedding bells ringing, Keenan? I think you might. Oh, man. Celebrity weddings, celebrity weddings, oh, celebrity weddings. I hate doing this every week. Do you? I guess we could literally just take one of the old ones and just put it in. But, no, I love hearing the evolution of it, so we're just going to do it new every time. Okay. It'll be fun. I just feel like I constantly am trying to top myself when I don't know if it's possible, but... Oh, it's possible. Who got married this month, Keenan? Or should I tell you who got married this month? Here, I'll give you a hint who it is, Mike. (laughs) Oh, the shaggy dog himself, (laughs) Tim Allen. That's right. On October 7th. Comedian actor Tim Allen, at the age of 53, weds actress Jane Hajduk in Grand Lake, Colorado. And Mike, as we know, our good friend Tim Allen is good for it, still married to this day. Fantastic, Keenan. He's a real family man. (laughs) Oh, he sure is. It seems like he's going to be married to infinity and beyond. (laughs) That home needs no improvement, Mike. Uh, oh man uh, that's good love you tim this was such a happy month mike nobody that we even knew died just a bunch of idiots <laughs> just a bunch of uh celebrity nobodies mike some d-listers d-listers 
Yeah. D&D list stands for dead, Keenan. <laughs> That's exactly right. Uh, R.I.P. all you D to E listers. Don't worry, folks. We have plenty of death for you this week. Just not the celebrity variety. That's true. In the same vein of their last album, Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge, the Black Parade is described as a rock opera. This story centered around a dying character with cancer known as The Patient. The album seems to be made up of three distinct chapters. The story of the patient's apparent death, his experiences in the afterlife, and his subsequent reflections on his life. I would say that the overall theme that we see throughout this story, Mike, throughout this concept album is the unpredictability of life and death and the connections between the two. They seem to explore how what we do in life, what we encounter in life will affect us later in life and then in the afterlife. That seems to be present kind of throughout the album. Absolutely. Yeah, the lessons of life and death are explained through the events that transpire in the patient's life. I think his life can kind of serve as a map in which, at least for me as a listener, I kind of think about my own life as it relates to what is being described as well. And there's a lot on here, Keenan. There's a lot to digest. It's a lot of heavy stuff. He had a turbulent life as a teenager. His relationships with loved ones were not the best. He committed sins, had vices, participated in war, experienced sickness, and then eventually he seems to meet his death and the great beyond. So there's a ton going on with this one. There is a lot. And what I noticed was, in particular, later in the album, there seemed to be some distinct connections between this character and the guys in My Chemical Romance. They seem to incorporate their own personal themes into later aspects. So, I don't know. I think we'll come across it maybe once or twice, but there is definitely a relationship between the story and between the band. As I said, it was hard for me to not kind of place myself in the story as well, so... I'm sure as the guys that were writing and composing these songs, they found a lot of things that hit home with them in their personal lives. There is one interesting tidbit, Mike, that I know you were exploring, and I think you probably delved into it a little bit deeper than I did, but is it true that when they recorded this album, they recorded it in a famously haunted house? It appears to indeed be true, Keenan. I saw that comment on a one-off, on somebody's lyrics analysis on the lyrics site I was using and thought, is that actually true? And there's actually an alternative press article from probably around 2012 or so that detailed a little bit more about their stay at the Paramore. So it was partially written and recorded there. And while confined to this haunted mansion, the band found that doors slammed and opened seemingly of their own volition. And um, it's kind of where the darkest parts of this album started to manifest and take form. We'll see later on that in a couple of the songs, one in particular, Sleep, was the result of night terrors that Gerard Way experienced while staying at the house. And his brother Mikey, who at the time had already been battling some serious anxiety and mental health issues was in the most haunted room of the estate and that only kind of made everything worse for his mental state by the time he was leaving the house he had been sleeping in Gerard's room because he couldn't stay in his own room anymore 
and he did end up leaving the house early to seek help for his personal battles and the band as a whole didn't end up staying the entire time they had booked the haunted house for so they checked out early keenan if it's too spooky for my chemical romance it has to be pretty (laughs) spooky yeah i don't know we might just have to end this right now mike i'm a little too scared that's fine i don't really feel like doing this album anymore all right thanks guys we hope you have the time of your lives good riddance psych (laughs) (laughs) i would say coming into this mike i probably knew maybe half of these songs i definitely didn't know every single song in the album. Most of them were familiar to me, but I think I really knew probably about half of them. Didn't really know the whole story of The Patient. I didn't know the sort of concept album part of it. So I was learning a lot of this as I went. I was reading a lot about it as I went. I actually spent a lot of time. It took me a lot more time to get through it because there were so many different tidbits and so many different side stories and pieces to pick up on. But I enjoyed listening to it, and I thought the story was grim, but kind of cool to learn about. Grim, but gripping, I would say, Keenan. I was similar to you. I really loved their first few albums, and then this one came out, and I never actually bought it. I think my friend Sam and Leah had this album, and it was the time in 2006 when you would exchange CDs and just rip them onto your iTunes library. So I did have this album on my good old iPod mini. But yeah, I would listen to it from time to time, but it was never one that I listened to as much as Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge. Having said that, I did know all the singles and all the videos, and over the last 15 years, I have listened to this album pretty completely numerous times. But similar to your experience, it was fun to go back into it and really observe it from the perspective of this story, which... I think we found on the last album we discussed by MCR, it's open for interpretation for sure, and we're going to do the best we can, but I think that makes it kind of fun too. It's like these songs overall are pretty awesome, and then to have a concise tale woven throughout is extra fun. Yeah, really fun. The most fun. Most fun. (laughs) (laughs) This must be a typo, Mike. Track number one is called The End. That doesn't sound right, Keenan. That's really weird. This is the beginning of the album. What the hell? Hmm, I don't know. It says right here in plain English. Track number one, I guess. The end. Now come on, come all to this tragic affair. Wipe off that makeup, what's in is despair. So throw on the black dress, mix in with the lot. You might wake up and notice you're someone you're not. If you look in the mirror and don't like what you see, you can find out firsthand what it's like to be me. So gather around, piggies, and kiss this goodbye. I'd encourage your smiles. I expect you all cry. So this album starts with a sound effect, which we've experienced before. I know that Fall Out Boy was famous for starting their albums with uh, a sound effect and then into the music. But this one starts with the beeping of what I think is an EKG machine. 
Is that what it was, Mike? I believe so, Keenan. As a medical professional, I can confidently say, yes, you are correct. Thank you. Fallout Boy came to mind. Also, Good Charlotte, The Chronicles of Life and Death has a similar tone to start their album. Theirs is from a perspective of a baby being born and their heart starting to beat for the, you know, the first time and be monitored on the outside of the womb. This one, I would say, is probably the exact opposite. I think it's monitoring possibly this patient's final moments of life and trying to keep his heartbeat stabilized, I guess you could say. <laughs> uh, Dr. Moynihan strikes again. <laughs> keep his heartbeat stabilized. Now that's an analysis, Mike. <laughs> stabilize doctor we need to stabilize him we can't stabilize him what should we do let him die <laughs> let god sort it out <laughs> see we thought that there wouldn't be any funny moments for this album and here we are on the first track giggling away it's gonna be all giggles i think we're hiding our fear with giggles at the moment yeah dying's funny What I thought was cool is it is called The End, but it's the first song on the album. But to what you're alluding to, Mike, it seems like it's the end of this guy's life. So the main character, the patient, he's on this hospital bed and the album starts with his death. Yeah, it's his death and kind of a brief glimpse of his life. It seems from the onset that he made a lot of enemies and not that many friends. There's one line that I always laugh at. It says, so gather around piggies and kiss this goodbye. I'd encourage your smiles. I'll expect you won't cry. So it sounds like all the little piggies are happy this guy's biting the dust. Yeah. And I get the sense that he's sort of accepting his fate. Like he knows it's going to happen. He knows it's inevitable. And he's basically saying, okay, I'm ready for this. For as much as one is able to embrace death, I would agree. It sounds like this guy is... As ready as as one can be. I don't know how often this happens, Keenan, but this track has my tattoo line. Whoa, nice. It's a simple one. You want to hear it? <laughs> I'm excited to hear it because any tattoo line from this album is going to be so just dark and depressing that I just am excited to imagine it on your body. Yeah, thank goodness that I didn't know this line when I was 16 because I might have gotten it tattooed. It's the perfect emo <laughs> teenager line. And MCR has so many good lines throughout, so it was kind of hard to pick. Oh, yeah. But the tattoo line is, when I grow up, I want to be nothing at all. Whoa, that's heavy. Yeah, and it's actually a theme that we might see later on in the album, too. Just that aspiring to be nothing or going through life and... Finding it, it doesn't have much meaning, as you might have hoped when you were younger. So this one's pretty bold. I feel like you got to make this one pretty visible. Where would you want it? 
Oh, yeah. I keep forgetting. I need to put it on my body somewhere. Yeah, it's a tattoo. I have a suggestion. Yeah, give me a suggestion, because I feel like I'm just going to say a boring old spot. Can you get it right under your neck? Mm. But it's like, it follows like your collarbone to collarbone in kind of a, like a horseshoe. Okay, I love that idea. Yes, that's where I'll get it. So when you're wearing a shirt, like if you're wearing a slightly low-cut shirt, you can just kind of make it all out and it sort of follows your collar line. Yeah, that's perfect for the deep Vs. Yeah, and that just seems like a real emo place to get it. Agreed. All right, I'm in. Cool. Track number two, Dead. (laughs) That's pretty straightforward. For sure. Exclamation point. So we heard the beeping of the EKG machine to start the last song. And the start of this song is the actual flatline sound effect. So now we know that this guy is officially dead. He was on his deathbed in the first song. Now he's actually dead. That's right, Keenan. You're, you're correct once again. This song is, it's really good. One of the notes I wrote down <laughs> is just such a good song, which I don't usually do because it's a pretty... uh stupid note to bother to write down but i think with a lot of this album i forgot how good these songs were yeah like i always go back to the singles then dead comes on I'm like holy crap this song rocks it's so good it's just a good rock song and it starts with that aggressive guitar solo mm-hmm. and i know that i read about it but you can really hear the classic rock influences they actually listed like pink floyd david bowie queen they listed all those bands as influences for this album and critics actually heard those influences in a lot of these songs i think it comes out very obviously in this one yeah musically it's great lyrically it's a little confusing it seems to have a lot of different characters involved already yeah it does like i noticed that it seemed to tell a story from maybe three different perspectives one was i think death it was death sort of welcoming this guy into the afterlife. The other one was the patient. It was actually him experiencing death for the first time. And there was that sort of random weird part where it was the doctor talking and it was his perspective of everything that was going on. Did you, did you uh, pick up on that part? Yeah. I love Gerard Way's doctor impression. It's so funny. And in my honest observation, (laughs) it's just like this pompous uh, doctor singing his part of the song. As all doctors are. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah. 
I definitely had to reread the lyrics a couple times because I'm like, all right, now this isn't the same person, right? That's not the same person. But yeah, I agree. It's kind of this guy's dying. He's talking to death or rather death is talking to him saying, you know, did you hear the news? You're dead. All that stuff. And then we flash back to the hospital and the doctor's saying, you know, not looking good. Um, there's a complication, that kind of thing. So the other element that they continue to explore in the song, Mike, is they reference this guy's pretty rough life multiple times. They talk about how nobody liked him anyway, how he never fell in love. I would say this guy was probably even welcoming death at this point because it sounds like his life was so tragic. Like it almost sounds like this guy could have been suicidal. That's how bad things were going. Right. As we discussed in the first song, it seemed like he wasn't necessarily upset that death was near. It didn't seem like his life had many high points. And who knows, maybe we'll find some along the way. But when I was listening through, I just kind of felt bad for the guy. You know, you can relate to a lot of his struggles, like the tumultuous love affairs and really never finding his footing in life as a whole. Now, Mike, was there any parts of this song, maybe between the second to last chorus and last chorus that you liked a lot? Wow, it's funny you should mention that, Keenan. Yes, the bridge, as a matter of fact. Oh, the bridge. Huh. Fancy that. There's a lot of la-la-la-las, which, <laughs> classic. We love to see that in our pop-punk songs. Love a good la-la. But this one has a fun little twist. Gerard says, la-la-la-la, motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he does. It's good. It's so aggressive. Yeah, it is aggressive. And I'll put that in because he does it better than I do, but... I still crack up every time I hear that because it's just a goofy little thing to have in there. But <laughs> it is. they're good at having these fun little moments in these overall dark songs, I would say. Track number three, This Is How I Disappear. pretty big fan of this one the concept of it really stood out to me i thought it was cool this one it seems like he's in the afterlife now and he's a ghost or he's something similar to a ghost and i got the notion of unfinished business like he was back to earth for a specific reason to visit the human beings that he knows and i think he might even be stuck there you think he's stuck in earth as a ghost on earth yeah, I think he is. I think he's like Casper. You remember Casper, the friendliest ghost, right? He's friendly, at least. Yeah, I think this guy's probably harmless. But yeah, I think he crossed over the afterlife, but he's back and he's sort of observing a loved one throughout this song. At least that's what I picked up on. And I think the unfinished business was he's not able to let this person fully go. So that's his unfinished business. 
Interesting. Yeah, I did think that the chorus definitely leads me to believe that there's something going on with two people here. It's without you is how I disappear. So the question to me is, is this the person that is dead or the person that's still alive thinking that, you know, they've lost somebody that they care about and then in essence their own life is now disappearing along with that person so i thought that was interesting it lends a little bit to maybe this guy wasn't a total prude but i wasn't sure about that yeah i don't know but i think it does talk about both of their perspectives the first verse actually says something about being brought back through a seance and that's why i thought maybe he was kind of coming back ah yes Interesting. Yeah, I can see that. Seances definitely bring people back and lock them in the mortal world. (laughs) As we know, a seance (laughs) has the power to do through uh, multiple Hollywood movies. Right. Uh, But I think more broadly, Mike, outside of the story aspect, it does sort of talk about the separation of loved ones because of death. And this notion that part of you is unfulfilled once you have to let go of somebody. It's a theme that we've seen before with death and how when somebody dies, those that are left behind are sometimes even worse off than the person that's passed away. The one that always comes to mind is Sonny by Newfound Glory. Right. You see how people are affected by the death of a loved one. And all these songs made me feel very funny feelings, like very uncomfortable facts and realities of life and death and things that we face as we you know, go through life. And that's one of them. It's like, man, it's not fun when somebody dies. It's like, you don't want to feel selfish about it. But it's like, sometimes you're incomplete in a way that you didn't really expect. It's all the things that had always been there and were just second nature and and not really thought of, you come to find out they're no longer in the right place or where they should be because this person that you cared about is gone. These pop punk bands, Mike, they make us feel some sad, dark things. They sure do, Keenan. Now, Michael, there was a line where he literally says, I'm just a ghost. I've got a quick question for you. Mm -hmm. Do you believe in ghosts? Simple answer, yes. And there's a lot of qualifiers on that. Like, to certain extents. Like, I think sometimes people have told me stories of different signs that they think a loved one that has passed on has shown them. But I don't really think of ghosts as, like, a full figure being just living in your den when you're asleep at night. It's more of just like a presence that you feel? I would say so. I've never really felt that personally. Have you? That would be cool. (laughs) Well, wait, before we go to me, didn't you say that your current house is haunted by your, like, old family members? No. (laughs) I think you have in the past. No, you and Charlie said that on our Yellow Card episode because I kept... (laughs) thinking that I heard footsteps, but... (laughs) That was so spooky. When I think I hear footsteps, I'm just nervous that Jack has woken up and Abby is going to get him. Oh, okay. I've never actually experienced any sort of paranormal activity, but as my mom told me when we first moved in, if it is haunted, it's probably somebody I know because my grandparents lived here, and then before then, my great-grandparents lived here, so... So they're not going to hurt you? I hope not. That would suck. (laughs) They're just... (laughs) Talk about a long a long game, right? Yeah, that would be wild. Years and years in the afterlife, and then they come back. But no, I can't say. Nothing uh, Nothing sticks out. I'm thinking mostly signs like 
I'll see something like they always say a cardinal represents like a loved one who's passed on. So sometimes I'll see a cardinal at a a weird moment, like when I need to, I guess. But I've never had any sort of like ghostly encounters. It's just little signs in life that I think maybe that's somebody looking out for me. It's a welcomed feeling, I would say. Not very spooky. Hmm. That's a bummer. I was hoping for something a little bit spookier. <laughs> so uh, what dead relatives have haunted you? <laughs> Uh, too many to name, Mike. Do they follow you as you move across Philadelphia? Yeah, every time. Damn, we have to move again? We have to haunt this new place? Uh, we're, we, we didn't even get our security deposit back on the last one. <laughs> I'm really just doing it to keep my dead relatives on their toes. That's kind of fun. I mean, if you're dead, you need something to do, so... That's what I'm saying. Following you around is probably fun. I'm trying to keep them active. I also don't like thinking that ghosts are real all the time because I don't like the idea of them observing us or being able to peer in on our lives you know why what are you worried about hiding there mike well the bodies keenan <laughs> uh, okay i'm scared i thought you were talking about your body <laughs> you don't want them to see that's your the body. scariest of all <laughs> it's that line if you look in the mirror and don't like what you see, now you know what it's <laughs> yeah. like to be me. <laughs> that's, a, that's a line on this album. <laughs> uh, track number four, The Sharpest Lives. Mike, is this about Edward Scissorhands? Tim Burton is very spooky, Keenan. <laughs> Actually, it kind of could be. So now I feel like he's starting to think about his old life a little more in depth. And this song seems to be telling a story about his old life. And in particular, talking about all the vices and all the mischief that he got into when he was a young man. Yeah, it details his relationship that he mishandled, I guess is a kind way to put it. He was drinking, out dancing, coming in late, sleeping on the couch. And it seemed to be... He was just living a nightlife and doing regrettable things that in the morning he eventually paid for. <laughs> regretted? He regret doing regrettable things that he regrettable regretted? Regrettable things were so regrettable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I got the sense that he's looking back on that life that he led and he does feel woeful about it. Like he's acknowledging that she should have never stayed with him because of all these terrible things that he was doing and all these things that he was putting her through. So I thought maybe if there was unfinished business from the last song, if he was trying to atone for something in the last song, now we know what that probably was. For a guy that didn't seem to live with much regret in death, I think he is regretting a lot of these things and the people that he affected in a negative way and realizing that, I guess I do this sometimes too. You always assume that if you cross somebody or piss somebody off, you'll be able to correct it eventually. And it seems like he's run out of time to 
go back and and make right and that's a little bit bothersome for him there was a cool reference to romeo and juliet and i was trying to figure out what that one was about but i think it became clear that as we know in the story of romeo and juliet their love was doomed from the start they were not supposed to be together and ended in tragedy and i think that's what he's saying is you know this relationship wasn't going anywhere it was doomed from the start and it probably ended similarly in tragedy i don't think it ended in their deaths per se i mean obviously he's dead now but i think it just ended in them probably going their separate ways and he's again regrettable about that a couple of montagues and capulets cutting it up keenan that's right that's exactly right there is also the classic my chemical romance vampire line i feel like oh yeah every album needs at least one vampire reference and they nailed it in this one so good so creepy in love with all these vampires, so you can leave like the sane abandoned me. He's insane, Keenan. Shivers, Michael. He's insane. He's an insane vampire. He likes ripping shots. <laughs> As we all do. <laughs> Give me a shot to remember. I just admitted I was a vampire. Shots of blood. Mike, are you Team Edward or Team Jacob? I'm definitely Team Jacob, Keenan. Taylor Lautner for life. Wow, we can't be friends. I'm Team Edward. For real? Oh, wow. Never knew yeah. that about you. Yeah, Edward guy. I didn't think this would ever come up. <laughs> <laughs> Awkward. <laughs> Oopsies. It's a shame we have to hash this out on a public forum like this. Track number five, Welcome to the Black Parade. Track number five, Keenan, and we're just now getting to the first single on the album, if you can believe it. <laughs> Boy, don't I. Don't see that too often, but this was the first single, and it was a cultural phenomenon, right? It was. It was everywhere. It was on TV. It was like this whole dark black parade thing. The band kind of became these personas and they really ran with it and they wore those like marching band black outfits in all their music videos and on tv and stuff and on all their tour dates i just remember thinking that on one hand it's a little bit corny on the other hand they really got into it and i thought it was pretty cool yeah i think people liked it i think the fact that they committed so hard and it did have this story behind it i think made it even more meaningful but the story part of this song was this patient reflecting on a really important memory in his life and it was the day that his dad took him to the city to see this band and at the same time he taught him a really important lesson about life and death i think that day the dad explained that one day everybody dies and that he himself will die and so it's kind of cool i think the patient was on his deathbed and he's equating death to this 
this parade almost because that was how he learned about death was at this parade. So it's sort of this weird connection that you make. Like you can probably think of similar things when you were a little kid, when your parents told you something. And then from that point forward, whenever it was brought up again, you would just think about that memory. I'm sure we all remember the first time our parents instilled in us that we're all going to die. <laughs> Vividly. Yeah. I too was at a parade actually. Yeah. I remember going to my first Phillies game and during the seventh inning stretch, my dad leaned <laughs> over and said, by the way, I'm going to die. Okay. You'll probably be alone, but don't worry. One day you'll die too. So now on your deathbed, you'll be thinking about the seventh inning stretch. It's great. Yeah. I don't care if I ever get back, Keenan. <laughs> I think that is interesting. It's like our idea of death can only be explained or imagined through worldly terms. You know? Yeah. It's something that we haven't experienced yet, so we're unable to really grasp our minds around what it entails. So... We are all kind of like this young boy. We're back in that stage of our lives, like this young, immature, unknowing adolescence, because this is something that there's not really any experts on. And who knows? Who knows what the heck happens? It could be a black parade. It could be a seventh inning stretch. That's part of the fun about dying, Keenan. It's a big surprise. Yeah, can't wait. <laughs> it's going to be real exciting when I find out what it's actually all about. But I do think there is a cool message later in the song where the patient is acknowledging that everybody dies, but there's some comfort in knowing that after your death, your loved ones will carry on. And that's a big line that's said over and over again, carry on, carry on. So I don't know. I think it's a good message about death. I think it's about persevering and overcoming death. And the bridge of the song is really empowering. Oh, the bridge is one of the best parts. I think this might be my favorite part of the album, just the bridge. It's empowering. It's inspiring. It's about carrying on and trying to be valiant and just in a world that is not always those things. And I mean, I'm obviously going to throw it in at this point, but even Abby, we were listening to it in the car and she's like, this is so good. That's huge. Hey, that's that's a tough critic right there. It is. As far as pop punk goes, I think we found this out last time. She's actually a pretty big closeted MCR fan. It's a big deal. But yeah, this bridge is something else. So I do want to say that I think this is one of the first songs where there's a direct connection to the band, and in particular Gerard Way. And whether or not that was a real memory of his dad taking him to a parade to see a marching band and he dropped this life lesson on him, I did read that Gerard Way was pretty obsessed with death back in the day. I think he was afraid of it. You don't say. And the boy, yeah, well. You had to, you had to read that? <laughs> Well, he wasn't obsessed with it until he overcame the fear of it. I think he was afraid of it for a long time. Mm. And then he started learning these lessons and became obsessed with it and the parallels between life and death. And so I think this is definitely one that 
you can actually trace directly back to his life. Yeah, I think anytime you can hear a song about a father and a son, that sort of relationship, those are usually written from a personal place, like a heartfelt song. And speaking of father and sons, Keenan, little fun fact with this one. I played this song a lot for Jack when he was little because I wanted to play songs, like different cool songs for him. Oh, boy. And I don't know how I feel about this. Multiple times when I would play this song, he would spit up all over himself. <laughs> really? Yeah. I think that's actually the uh, the correct reaction as a baby. Well, he's probably <laughs> he's probably realizing the gravity of life and, and death yeah. and all that, and he just can't hold his fluids <laughs> that's where he's gonna be when uh when he learned the uh inevitability of death yeah when he's on his death but he's just gonna go <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i'll try to find those videos because it is pretty funny it was more than once that's why i remember it because oh my I'm god like, dude what is it with this song like stop puking on yourself maybe you just stop playing that song for him i did eventually and we found him <laughs> eventually we found him a better formula that worked better for his tummy a different pop punk band yeah, different pop punk band. So you already alluded to it, but there was a pretty famous music video associated with this, and a lot of it was just taken directly from the song. There was the band performing in this getup that you were talking about, and then there was the portrayal of a black parade. It involved the patient as well. So we see the patient dying, and then he gets out of his hospital bed and joins the black parade, this idea of this is what death is this black parade this march to the other side this is how you're transported to death right and it's all these people with varying degrees of like black paint on their eyes and stuff very spooky ghoulish looking people and yeah then the band is just rocking out and they're just it's just a slowly moving float that they're playing on and it's the black parade keenan welcome it's weird because it's sort of a combination of like dark and depressing but also like loud and triumphant yeah it is this triumphant feeling of you're dead nothing can hurt you anymore however it does portray at least this portion of the afterlife in kind of gnarly detail it's just like this gray cityscape of dilapidated buildings it doesn't look look like a fun place to inhabit i'd live there mike i'd live there with you if we were together we could do it we could do anything mike <laughs> Track number six, I Don't Love You. That's not me saying that to you, Mike. That's the name of the song. Thank goodness, Keenan. My heart skipped a beat there for a moment. I figured. I, I wanted to make sure you understood. So now we're slowing it down, Mike. This is their first ballad of the album. This is the first ballad, and it's honestly one of the best pop punk ballads I think I've ever heard. It's just such a really good slow song. Wow. Wow, indeed. It was the third single 
However, only in the UK. It wasn't released as a single in the US, which I thought was interesting. Huh. Mm, pandering to the British audience, huh? I guess. Makes no <laughs> makes no sense, but it's a pretty touching song about a relationship running its course and I don't know, it, it stings when you hear the lyrics. I don't love you like I did yesterday. It sucks, man. That does suck, man. Is that some good analysis for you? Yeah. When relationships end, it sucks. Yeah, good analysis. I think as it relates to the narrative, he's acknowledging that this past relationship that he had has run its course, probably because of his quote-unquote sharp life that he was leading. She was fed up with it. She finally left him, and this is how he feels about it. Obviously, he's not pumped about it. But it does make the patient's story sound even more terrible because you're starting to realize that he probably was really alone at his death. She had left him. There was nobody by his side to comfort him. She left him at some point in time, and he was truly alone on his deathbed, dying of cancer. And in the earlier songs, we saw that he was trying to hold on to this person. Like, he was seeing her as a ghost. He was trying to let go of her, so he was clearly still attached to her. So I think he was living in denial that she was gone. I don't know. The whole concept of that makes it even more of a sad narrative around this guy. It does. I think the song does a good job of helping you feel like sometimes lost love can be as significant as somebody dying. It is like a death of sorts. It's just this idea that somebody that you've shared a lot of important time with is now just gone and not coming back and trying to wrap your head around that is difficult for people at times. Yeah, they're making you think about something that we don't often think about in these songs, which is the process of falling out of love. A lot of these pop punk songs are about falling in love or having a crush on somebody or things like that, but we don't often talk about the depressing process of falling out of love. I think we did discuss it a couple times with like Sum 41 and Newfound Glory. I think those come to mind, but the way it's portrayed here is just even more in your face. So yeah, it's pretty sad. It reminds me a little bit of the Relying K song, Which to Bury Us or the Hatchet, where it's not a hate thing. Like, it's not a hateful song. It's just, I don't love you anymore. And sometimes that's so much worse than just having this vendetta or grudge against somebody because it's harder to reconcile with. If they've crossed you or given you a real reason to hate their guts for the rest of your life, then you feel a little bit better about it. But in some cases, it just doesn't work out. And you can spend a long time trying to figure out why that might have been. There was a music video for this song since it was one of the singles. I think maybe a little bit less eventful than Welcome to the Black Parade. But what did you think of it? It was less eventful, but I still think it did a really good job depicting this relationship falling apart. It was a black and white video, and this man and woman were kind of shown as if they were porcelain or glass statues just crumbling and falling apart and obviously no longer being loving or feeling fulfilled with one another. And it was done very well, I thought. It was a more cinematic music video than we usually see from these pop punk bands. There was one portion of it that I thought was a little bit unusual and I don't know if you thought the same thing do you know what I'm what I'm referring to uh yeah was it the dude in blackface <laughs> and the girl with bugs eyes like mantis from guardians of the galaxy yeah like I <laughs> yeah. don't know why those details are necessary like as I said the 
the music video is in black and white, and the couple is very black and white. Yeah. She's white with bug eyes, and he is black all over, but played by a white guy. And I just yeah. was wondering, I looked up the actor, and I was just wondering, one, is this actually blackface? Because it's like, part of it is they're trying to depict black and white, like just in this color scheme not as like a black like he's not depicting a black person i guess right so does yeah, that yeah. make it okay probably if you have to ask that question the safe answer is just not to do it <laughs> just don't do it yeah it was 2006 so i don't i don't know it might be coming up on that territory where it's easier to decide that but yeah so i was like that's weird their music videos are weird in general but i'm like yeah i feel a little icky watching watching this it was a little weird when it <laughs> When the guy first appeared on screen, I was, uh, yeah, I wasn't entirely sure how to feel. That's why I said I looked up the actor. I'm like, oh, okay, this guy's guy a white guy. But, hey, I mean, it still made me feel emotional, I guess. I guess it served its purpose. I just was laughing. I'm like, I wasn't expecting to have to think about blackface and pop punk music videos this week. But maybe that's why it was a UK exclusive single. Could be. Yeah, because they don't give a shit about it there. They don't give a shite over there racist brits <laughs> track number seven house of wolves Woo, keenan <laughs> what is that spooky to you no, it's just, oh yeah, that wolf. was oh is that a wolf sound yeah oh i thought it was a ghost no like, it's going keenan. that's how that a wolf would say hello keenan Can I start this song with a bang mic? Be my guest. Quick doppelganger, kind of bizarre, but I can't unhear it. Some parts of this song sound like that B-52 song, Rock Lobster. Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah, Rock <laughs> rock Lobster. <laughs> also, Wolf Lobster. Am I right, people? True. Both delicacies. Both are delicacies. <laughs> I actually had one for lunch, one for dinner today. <laughs> That's fun. <laughs> they're both out of season keenan actually werewolves are very much in season they are extremely in season this is the only time of year to have them it's probably delectable yeah it's good but yeah i don't know there was something like creepy about both songs that they were like quiet and creepy at the same time i like this doppelganger because while i know both songs i have no idea what the hell you're talking about so <laughs> let's take a listen here's <laughs> here's house of house of wolves <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>
And here's Rock Lobster by the B-52s. Are you sure you weren't just creeped out by the guy singing like this? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's all contained. Yeah, I think that's it. So this is way faster paced than the last song and the earlier songs on the album. I think this is where we see a vision, almost like in my mind, I saw this as kind of like the guy's now dead, and this is him experiencing like some sort of hellscape or crazy fiery end i guess you could say whether or not that's his eternal resting place i don't know but i think he is getting a glimpse into the consequences that can await you in death yeah i think there's no doubt that in this song he's in hell i think there's so many illusions and i think there's so many references to it i thought this song sounded almost like it could have been like a prayer in the church of satan or something like that's how over the top it was with references to hell there was a lot of like production value in this song too it was very theatrical Mm -hmm. i thought it was maybe a song you would hear in like the movie nightmare before christmas or like a play or an opera something like that like it was very very like bold and over the top yeah that's a really good point i wouldn't surprise me if one day we saw a musical or like a stage show made from this album i think it definitely has that value to it like we've seen Similar things in the past, like American Idiot got made into a Broadway show, and I think this one would fit the bill, too. I mean, it's literally described as a rock opera, so yeah, I think it could be turned into that. You're totally right. I did get the sense that later in the song, he was more or less accepting his fate. I think we heard kind of the build-up through last couple songs, like, he lived this sinful life full of vices. He treated this girl clearly not great. I think he's kind of accepting his fate. Like, he's saying, screw it, I'll just lean into this, and now I'm, yeah, I'll just go to hell, whatever. Yeah, he just says, I'm a bad man, over and over again, so. Yeah, and I think you're right. I think he's clearly looking at hell. House of Wolves literally means, like, a hostile environment. When you walk into a House of Wolves, you're walking into an aggressive, hostile environment. So I think he's saying, you know what, I'm just going to walk into hell and just be a part of it now. There was also a part that referenced... Maybe the creepiest nursery rhyme of all, Ring Around the Rosie. Mm. You remember that old gem, Mike? We all fall down, Keenan. Can we agree that we should stop teaching kids Ring Around the Rosie? Yeah. So, are you going to give me the backstory? Was it the bubonic plague? Was that what it is about? Or It's about everybody dying, right? It's kind of about kids dying. I think I read that it was, through the years, it was attributed to the plague and how lots of kids died during the plague. But I think I read that that was actually... A historical fallacy i don't think it was actually mm. associated with that but i mean it's creepy enough that people would make that mistake so can we just stop it i will do my part keenan i will not teach my son to play ring around the rosie please don't teach him my sister when we were younger had a ring around the rosie doll ew did you ever see that no what the hell is that her name was rosie and you held both of her hands and she would sing ring around the rosie Tell me it was like an Annabelle, like creepy doll situation. She was not as creepy as Annabelle, kind of cute, but it was pretty freaky. We 
It was a Christmas gift one year, and it was a huge party hit. A Christmas gift? Yeah. I mean, if you see this doll, it's not like a... It's a kid's doll. Okay. Your family's sick. <laughs> but <laughs> she actually brought it to my dad's family, like, party. And the fun thing about Rosie is it didn't matter. You could just do it by yourself and hold both of her hands, or you could have, like, 20 people all holding hands and just put Rosie in the middle somewhere and she would still sing the song. Couldn't you guys just sing the song? Wasn't that such fun? That was such a fun thing. <laughs> I mean, it sounds, in my mind, it sounds horrific. You but, have to yeah. understand this was the mid to late 90s and this kind of technology didn't yet exist. That's a really good point. Yeah, <laughs> that was an exciting time for uh, talking and singing dolls. You're right. It was also a huge time for doll commercials. It's just like a commercial with a doll and it's like, this doll shits. It's like, holy cow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mom. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, there was the, like, there was the doll that, like, peed its pants. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. It was, like, baby piss a lot or something. Yeah. <laughs> you would, like, <laughs> shove shit into it, and then it came yeah. back out again. <laughs> Ew. Well, I'm so happy that that phase is gone. At least. It's due for a comeback. It still could be out there. It's like, American Girl dolls are too expensive. We're just going to get you the doll that shits. <laughs> I hope it at least poops out like chocolate or something. So it's a little treat for the kids. Yeah. <laughs> like those reindeers at Christmas time. Yeah. Those little novelty exactly gifts. Yeah. Yeah. They're fun. Track number eight. Cancer. Turn away Cause I'm up old just to see Cause all my hairs are abandoned All my body, all my agony Know that I will never bury Baby, I'm just soggy from the chemo But cannon down the days too And Mike, this is clearly when the album takes a pretty distressing turn. Yeah, if it hadn't already, this one really... It's not about the Zodiac sign. It's not um, his his disclosure that he's a cancer. It's, uh, it's the heavier kind. Yeah, it's about the illness. And I think most of the album was, up to this point, fairly dark and disturbing. But I think this one is when it becomes real. Because not only is it explaining how this guy died and why he died, clearly he died because of cancer and explains, you know, somebody's path through that illness. But I think it's just so real to life because obviously everybody is affected by cancer at some point in time, whether it's themselves having cancer, a family member, a friend. But this one just takes it to a whole nother level. Right. The other songs are depressing or dark in nature, but... Honestly, Keenan, I've never found myself in a fiery hellscape. 
I have lost loved ones to cancer. So that's why I think this one hits so hard. It's like, it doesn't just brush over cancer. It really goes into detail, like losing hair and not wanting your loved ones to see you in your condition and feeling soggy and bloated from chemo. And, and it's true. That's the worst part is it's not like some emphasis used in the song. It is stuff that I'm like, I remember people that I cared about going through that. And so to re-listen to this song again, I'm like, I guess kudos to them. They did a good job describing that experience from at least my perspective. Thankfully, I haven't had to be in the patient's perspective, but I'm sure it's tough all around for all parties involved. And I think towards the end of the song, they present this feeling that despite all the horrible effects, the physical effects of cancer, I think they actually suggest that the hardest part is just saying goodbye to someone way too early. Like this guy died of cancer at what we assume was a young age. I think he was probably a young man at the time, maybe the same age as the guys in MCR when they wrote it. But just the fact that you have to see somebody go through that and then say goodbye and be done with them forever, I think that's just the emotional impact of an illness like this. One of the best lines on the entire album is, counting down the days to go, it just ain't living. So even if this isn't something that's going to kill you instantly, just having that diagnosis and being given that time frame of like when you can expect to go. I know some people see it in a different light and they want to think like, you know, make the most out of it, live every day like you're dying, but it still has to be really hard to just have that time frame, just waiting it out, seeing what happens. And are they right? Do I have more time? Do I have less time? It's not just the disease itself. It's the extended sentence that comes with it. Sometimes it's easier to just drop dead or die in your sleep and not have that time to prepare for it. You know, it can make it tougher on people. Track number nine, Mama. I think coming off of that really heavy piano ballad that we just listened to, this one had more of like a folksy feel to it. I couldn't decide if it was like like a Wild West type of feel or if it was maybe something you would hear in Fiddler on the Roof, but it was just, I don't know. It does have, again, that musical feel to it. Keeps it pretty heavy though, Keenan, with Mama, We're All Gonna Die <laughs> as the opening line. So yeah. It reminded me of Hang 'em High off of Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge. They always have this song that's a total departure in sound from the rest of the album. Shut up. Are you actually saying that? Yeah. Did you write that? Oh, damn. Yeah. I thought the same thing. I honestly did not not see that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I literally thought the exact same thing. I think that's cool. I think that's a cool pacer to the album. Yeah, I totally agree. You definitely remember this song. Whether or not you like it or not is a different story. I can say... There was one tough critic for this song, Keenan. My wife. <laughs> Abby, of course. Yeah. This came on and she said, this is weird. We can't win them all, Mike. 
we'll take our little victories when we get them in the uh, in the Battle of Abbey. There's a huge one coming up for Abby, so I'm not going to hold this against her because she's kind of right. It, it is a an oddball track. So here now, I think he's in the afterlife, he's in hell, and he's recounting the time that he spent when he was at war, when he was literally fighting overseas for his country, and he was writing these letters back home to his mom. And there's all these references to battles and injuries that he had and there's even like a bomb sound effect, I think, a couple times during this song. Did you hear that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's definitely having some more self-reflection. And similar to what he thought about whatever love interest he had in his life, I think he's recalling his relationship with his mother now and wishing that he had been a better son and maybe done more to be there and show her his affection when he was still living. Yeah, and I think a lot of that relationship that he had with his mom was spelled out in these letters that he wrote back home. Like, it was clear how afraid he was and how he was basically wanting to be home and wanting to be back with his mom. And it was almost like a little kid crying out for his mom because he was faced with all these terrifying things in battle. For the first time in his life, he was probably faced with his own mortality. Definitely. I think MCR does a really good job of describing wartime scenarios. I'm thinking about the music video for Ghost of You from Three Cheers, how good a depiction that was for just a pop-punk music video. And then the lines in the song really drill in how ugly and dark war is. Lines like, we're meant for the flies, they're building a coffin your size, and this guy is kind of terrified and I think he's relating his experience thus far in the afterlife to just this wartime scenario where there's not a lot of great options as far as your outcome. The time that he spent overseas fighting was very influential in his life and I think he realized the evils in the world just being faced with that, being faced with the enemy, being faced with his violence. And I wonder if what he experienced when he was at war, actually affected his life for years to come. I wonder if that's the reason that he was engaged in these vices, if that's the reason that all his relationships were screwed up. I think he was just so affected by it. And in this song, war is actually presented as like another character. I think I actually read somewhere that this was the introduction of a character called quote-unquote Mother War. Mm. And if you think back to the Welcome to the Black Parade music video, there was that one character, it was like a woman with blonde hair in a black dress and she had a gas mask on and apparently that's supposed to be the character of mother war so i think it was just this defining piece of this guy's life and maybe it followed him around for the rest of his life interesting war definitely forces you to grow up fast and i think that's something we see in other songs as well this idea that his life either passed him by or he felt was taken from him in different ways and I think war is a great way to describe that. Now, Mike, did I hear a female singer in the bridge of this song? You did, Keenan. It's actually, for all the characters that we have on this album, it's the only point of the album in which another person sings back to Gerard. And I'm guessing you know who that person is, correct? Is it Liza Minnelli? It's Liza Minnelli. <laughs> which I... Never really knew before 
reading more about everything this week. I guess I should because now on every website it says featuring Liza Minnelli. But I guess I should say for many years I didn't realize it was her. And in choosing Liza Minnelli, Gerard had said that he wanted this part of the album to be the part where somebody finally spoke back to him. And he wanted somebody motherly, but who was also a survivor and had been through a lot, but had roots in the theater, which goes back to our idea that this song sounds suited for the stage in one way or another. And pretty much he asked Liza to do it. And she said yes. And it was pretty quick. She just sent the track back to him. So that's really cool. I didn't realize that's so interesting that he had it so targeted so specific it seems like she's like one of maybe five people who could do that another one might be like bet midler yeah definitely somebody with that cinematic flair yeah like grandiose over the top kind of voice and she did a really good job track number 10 sleep I know you probably have some interesting things to say about maybe the broader themes in this mic, but really quickly, I think as far as the narrative goes, this probably takes place right after he comes back from war and he's trying to readjust to normal life. And he's dealing with all the skeletons and all the demons that he brought back home with him from war. And it's just weighing on him. And he's having trouble sleeping. He feels like he's being plagued by all these things. And he refuses to apologize for anything that he did when he was actually in battle, I think he acknowledges that he was following orders and he felt like he was doing the right thing, but he knows that it's negatively affected him possibly for the rest of his life. That's right. I think it does a good job of showing the two sides of sleep. And you're right, Keenan. This was the song that we briefly touched on earlier. The introduction to the song is Gerard Way recounting his experience in that haunted mansion and the kind of sleep paralysis that had happened after that stay there that he attributes for his sleep paralysis
the song itself reminds me that, and we've actually talked more about sleep than you might think over the course of, of this show, but... <laughs> we have a lot, yeah, weirdly. It shows that there's one side of sleep, which is its intended purpose to help you rest and refuel and feel okay the next day. And then sometimes those dreams are nightmares, and we see things like restlessness and just having night terrors and nightmares and um, in some extreme cases sleep paralysis which is just this awful experience that's supposed to be during a time of rest and you're anything but yeah all i kept thinking about when i listened to gerard way talking at the beginning of the song and then the lyrics of the song was as you mentioned sleep paralysis which is i gotta say probably one of the most terrifying phenomena that i go through unfortunately still to this day do you actually experienced sleep paralysis ever or no i have it's not frequent and i really can't tell you the last time it happened but for me it's just this feeling that somebody's in the room and yeah you can kind of see them but you can't move it's so weird i don't even know to this day if if it's part of a dream or if i'm actually like struggling to open my eyes but i'm literally incapable of moving my body and i could just see out of a little sliver out of my eyelid and yeah there's like horrifying things around me i don't even know if there's horrifying things around me or if i'm just scared because if there was a horrifying thing i wouldn't be able to protect myself because my body is just not working it's the most bizarre feeling in the world right i don't think i necessarily even see anything i just feel like something's there lurking and it's probably the ghost mike it's the presence that you're feeling it could be it's your uh your old loved ones yeah but yeah, so it hasn't happened in a while, so hopefully now it happens tonight. That would be fun. That would be fun now that we're talking about it. Yeah. We're just implanting it in our brains for later. Yeah. Sure. It is really crazy the wide range of things that can happen to you while you're asleep. Like, sometimes, I, I guess they're falling dreams, but sometimes I just kind of wake up and I, I felt like I fell, but I'm just lying there. Yeah. Like, I haven't moved. I that always happens to me on like a plane or a train oh, when there yeah. are people around me and I jolt. It's so embarrassing. Yeah. It's almost like you're dropping your phone, but you're the phone. And you're like, wait, 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 yeah. wait, stop, stop, stop. <laughs> it's like, why am I falling sitting down? It makes no sense. Oh, so uh, kooky. Track number 11, Teenagers. The boys and girls in the clique, the awful names at the stick. You're never gonna fit in much kid but if you're troubled and hurt what you got under your shirt will make them pay for the things that they did they said I love a good, upbeat, happy song about how much we love teenagers, Mike. Keenan, this song is actually about how teenagers scare the shit out of Gerard Way. Did you know that? Oh, okay. Oh, well, I'm learning it now, yeah. It was the fourth single, but as we found out, the third release in the U.S. And, I should say, it is my wife Abby's favorite song on the album. This is Abby's favorite song? It is. Well, Mike. What? You know who else's favorite song this is? Who, Keenan? It's also my wife's favorite song. What? No, I don't have a wife. It's my favorite song. (laughs) 
It tricked you for a second. You were waiting for years to tell me you had a wife through right. this song. <laughs> through the song, yeah. Surprise. It was the long con. It's one that I never really thought fit into the whole overall concept of the album, but in listening to everything more closely this time, I'm starting to feel like it may fit better than I had thought in the past. What do you think? Yeah, I agree with you. I do think this is the part of the album, this song and the two following it, where there's probably slightly more relationships and more connections to the actual band members in their life. So, yeah, I think it's probably veering off of the narrative a little bit, but I think they all still do fit into the narrative in specific ways. Yeah, similar to what we said about how war forces you to grow up or steals your youth from you. It seems like in this song, Gerard Way is making a point that the education system kind of churns kids out and really robs them of any individuality or aspirations that they may have had growing up. It seems like he doesn't think too kindly of that whole system as a whole, whether it's bullying or, you know, having all your hopes and dreams like ripped away from you or beaten out of you at a young age. It seems like he thinks it's does more harm than good, really. Yeah, and I think the main character in this album, The Patient, was probably failed by the education system. He was failed by the poor curriculum, the bad authority, you know, the reliance on prescription drugs, which eventually led to the things like bullying, you know, violence, things like that. So mm -hmm. I think this guy was just doomed for failure. I think he had a bad upbringing, had to go to war, had bad relationships, and it was just all these things sort of baked into this guy's very tragic life. Yeah, it's one of those situations where sometimes things can seem insignificant, but it's all relative to the person as you're experiencing it. Like, we might look at high schoolers nowadays and think, you don't have any real problems, but that's not really fair for us to say. You know, that's not our place to say that. And part of that idea is why when this album initially came out, we were 16, and I really just thought this song was so stupid. <laughs> Did you? Yeah, I just thought, like, Teenagers scare the living shit out. I just thought it was a silly song. And now, as a 31-year-old looking back, I can totally relate to Oh yeah. the overall theme of it. Like, Gerard said he wrote it on a subway when he was the only older person surrounded by these teenagers. And he was just thinking, like, I'm really scared of these kids. And yeah, I still have that stupid feeling where it's like, I shouldn't be scared of all these kids being loud. But it's like... They're so carefree and inexperienced and not beaten down by life yet. It's like you get a little uneasy around them. Yeah. No, I totally agree with Gerard Way here. I feel like teenagers are terrifying. They just don't have any life lessons yet, and they don't have any concept of consequences. And so, I don't know. Think about when you were a teenager. Teenagers are mean, dude. Like, think about the things you said as a teenager that you would never say today. I don't know. I mean, not to toot my own horn, but I think we were pretty mild-mannered teenagers. I mean, we definitely were, but we still did some messed up stuff. Oh, yeah. We did dumb stuff that I wouldn't do now, but... That's what I'm saying. Yeah. That's what I think teenagers have that edge to them. Like, they're just unpredictable. You don't know what they're going to do. And they don't really have any sort of sensor or anything holding them back. They just are very apathetic, which... Exactly right. I remember being apathetic at times, but... There is a certain point that apathy reaches just this destructive level. And I think that's what we find in this song. 
You mentioned that Gerard Way did have a parallel between this song and his life, but I think he also went on record to say that he felt obligated to include a song like this because he thought that high school violence, and in particular gun violence, was a major issue and that it had to be commented on. I think a lot of people shied away from it, but he wasn't afraid to actually address it. So, I don't know. There was sort of a moral obligation to have this type of song on the record, which I also found kind of interesting. Yeah, and that line always hits me out of nowhere. If you're troubled and hurt, what you got under your shirt will make them pay for the things that they did. A line that's from the violent school shooter's perspective yeah, as their way to, to combat bullying. And, I mean, it's definitely one of those things we talk about every once in a while that it's a shame it's still an issue, but... 15 years later, it doesn't seem like it's going away. <laughs> so I am glad that Gerard went on the record as like being an outspoken advocate for like, hey, this is something that needs to be addressed and, you know, not something that that should be shied away from. We have to deal with this issue. Speaking of high schools, Mike, wasn't a high school depicted in the music video? Oh, boy, was it ever depicted, Keenan? <laughs> <laughs> Man, our segues are getting better and better, huh? <laughs> it's. It seems to me that there is an assembly about to take place with MCR on stage with some fine cheerleaders behind them, Keenan. <laughs> the, the auditorium doors open and these teenagers, these students come in, sit down, and at first they look bored as hell, which is one of the scariest things that a group of kids can look like. Just them being bored and uninterested and you feeling very old and uninspiring. But then their emotions change. They start pumping their fists and eventually rush to stage and start going crazy and kind of roughing up the band a little bit. So it's it's a fun video, Keenan. It's fun. <laughs> Did you have fun watching it? I had a load of fun watching this, Keenan. Uh, what a fun video about a fun theme, Mike. There's not a ton going on. It's just, it's just fun. We had a fun time. They had fun recording it and filming it. We had a fun time watching it. Yeah. Track number 12, another fun song, Disenchanted. Thematically, I think this song was kind of interesting because I felt like the main character was actually taking himself outside of the story and was viewing it from an outside perspective. I almost thought at any point in the album, if they were trying to break the fourth wall, this is when they were doing it. And so he was looking at his life as a whole and this story as a whole and just observing it and commenting on it. Yeah, this definitely was a song of self-reflection, taking a look back at his life and being unimpressed or realizing that it was pretty unremarkable as a whole. I think it was reluctantly accepting his fate. Like he was saying, okay, this all happened and I'm sort of doomed to this terrible existence after death. But 
at the same time, I think he was hoping that people would learn from his own life lessons and the lessons of this story. Yeah, learn from the life lessons and also take it as a bit of a warning to try to live their life with some significance and some meaning rather than just let it slip away. The one line on here that always stuck out to me was, you're just a sad song with nothing to say about a lifelong wait for a hospital stay. So really his whole life was nothing. It reminds me of that line on the Sum 41 album, somewhere ahead is the back of the line. Oh yeah. There's nothing for you and then it's it's done. Nothing and then it's done. It sucks, right? <laughs> to think yeah, about life terrible. that way. But I think that's what he's kind of doing on this track. Yeah. And I think he's not really convinced that people will learn any lessons, which makes it even sadder in a way. And it related back to the title of the song. And that brings me to maybe our favorite segment ever, Mike. Mm. Cooking it up with Susie Cook, vocab hour. <laughs> Let's play the music, Keenan. <laughs> Let's uh, fire up the pasta dishes. Here we go. Disenchanted, Mike. Do you know what it means? It's not a good thing. I would say if enchanted means spellbound or hoodwinked. (laughs) Here you define enchanted first and then work back from there. Go ahead. Can I have the country of origin, please? (laughs) I think... Any alternate pronunciations? So it's... The opposite of enchanted, which, how would I just define that? Maybe disappointed or um, despair, things, something like that. Yeah, I think you nailed it, Mike. Disillusioned. I think this character is disillusioned. He's mm. disenchanted. Mm. So, you know, he sort of accepted that this all kind of sucks. The character thinks that this all kind of sucked. And this is another song where I think there was a lot of similarities between the patient and gerard way and gerard way i don't know why i always have to say gerard and way <laughs> you have to it's important yeah because there's two ways it's not mikey way it's gerard way that's true i think gerard way was using this song as almost like a way for him to assess his own life what have i done in my life and what have i made of meaning and will it be something that lives like after i'm gone like he talks about the screaming crowds and running from the cops and getting beat up in high school and i think it's kind of a very personal song for him where he wonders if what he leaves behind will be significant in the grand scheme of things yeah if there's any song where he was putting himself in the story if gerard way is putting himself in the story it was definitely this one and he's been on record as saying that he's dealt with things like depression, addiction. And so he probably relates to this tragic tale in more ways than one. And maybe he's saying he just hopes that people can learn from his own personal story. He's overcome a lot in his own life and he was obviously very successful, but still has these demons that chase him around. So yeah, I feel like this one was a little bit closer to the band and closer to Gerard Way than maybe some of the others. Track number 13, and of course they have to end on unlucky number 13, Mike. Famous last words. Like 
This was the second single, Keenan. And I don't know if you've noticed, but I haven't had my favorite song yet. You know why? Oh, it must be one of the uh, hidden tracks then. <laughs> no, it's this one. This is my favorite song. I would say both my historical favorite and my current favorite, Keenan. Look at you. I think, yeah, this one was tough for me to pick because I always love Teenagers, but when I was listening through the album again, this one was really fun to hear again. So this was a very close second, in my opinion. Do you know who else's favorite song this is? Caitlin's. No, I should have asked her. I didn't, but <laughs> it's Gerard Way's favorite song. This is Gerard Way's favorite song? Mm-hmm. I saw a tweet quoted where he was doing a re-listen to this album back in 2013. And at first he had said Sleep was his favorite, but then he got to this one and said... Um, that it was his favorite? <laughs> but then when he got to this one, he changed it and said that this was actually his favorite song. Oh, okay, wow. That's a big deal. So this is a little unusual, but I actually want to start discussing the music video for this one. Because the music video for this one was really cool. It was actually considered one of the darker MCR videos ever made. There was so much just like raw emotion and meaning behind it. In the music video, it seemed like it was the end of the Black Parade. Like the parade floats were burning. It looked like the band was at sort of their wits end. And didn't a lot of things actually go wrong in the filming of this music video, Mike? Yeah, way more than you would think. There was, as you said, Keenan, a ton of flames everywhere. And drummer Bob Breyer actually had second and third degree burns on the back of his legs from where the flames were kind of moving in towards the back of his drum kit. And he wanted to finish the filming because they were so close to having wrapped the filming that he just kept on playing. And as soon as they were done, he just ran from the drum kit and immediately went to seek treatment because it was pretty bad. And it actually resulted in gangrene, which does not sound fun. Oh, does not sound no. fun at all. But it's very on brand for this album. It really is. It's like disgusting and creepy. There's, there's also a part where Gerard is tackled by Frankie Arrow and actually rips his calves. He like tore ligaments in his ankle or something. Yeah. Yeah. And so the parts of the video you see where it seems as if he's writhing in pain, he actually is. He's actually very much in pain. It's not this theatrical show that he's putting on. It's so crazy. I mean, it's like everything that could go wrong did go wrong. And it was this amazing climax of this album. And it was this really low moment for the band. And all these things just sort of coming together in one. And I think the filming of it, it sort of bled into real life, which is pretty crazy to me. It was a disastrous shoot for this music video, Keenan. And as I came to find out in reviewing this album, there was also another near disaster that was going on at this time within the band. So I had mentioned at the beginning of the episode when Mikey Way actually left the haunted house early to deal with his personal issues, he was pretty much considering quitting the band and just calling it a day. And it wasn't until Gerard had started writing this song and asked Mikey to come listen to it. And it was after Mikey heard this song that he decided to rejoin the band and finish the completion of this album and the subsequent tour that would come from it. So this song kind of saved the band. Wow, that's so cool. And especially because this song is all about like rebirth and the happiness in life and overcoming the sad parts of life. Like this is a redemption song, is it not? 
It is. And I think it's a redemption song that kind of leaves the album a little bit open-ended, at least from my perspective. Like, I went through the whole album thinking, this guy's dead, he's the patient. And then I found myself second-guessing at the end, like, is he dead? Because there's a lot of lines saying, I'm not afraid to keep on living. So I wondered, is that him somehow being brought back to life? Or is he thinking, you know, all the things that he didn't do in life, he'll now be able to try to do in death. So I guess it could be either of those things, but it was an interesting way to end the album. I think as far as the narrative, this song had two different functions. One, I think it sort of explained the whole moral of the album, which is live life, don't waste it because life and death are so unpredictable. You don't know when one thing happens in life, how it's going to affect you either later in life or in death. And so it was saying, okay, this is your chance to get it right. And then I do think that it was the patient, the character of the patient, rising above his lowest moments, overcoming that sorrow, and just finally finding peace. I don't think it was necessarily him, you know, experiencing new life, but I think it was just him having some closure finally. So I think that's what it was. I think it was just ending on this happy note of him being able to kind of accept his fate and move beyond it. Awake and unafraid, asleep or dead. It really is pretty powerful. And I always knew it as a single growing up and just thought it was a cool song as a single, but to have it as the final piece of this album, this very emotional, very like powerful album, they really ended it on the best possible note. This album, Mike, really was the perfect album to discuss in the lead up to Halloween. And it's actually funny because I feel like this is just going to become a trend of ours. I guess every year on Halloween, we just discuss MCR albums from now on. But we're running out of them, so we'll see what happens next year. They are cool albums to discuss because they're way more complex than the typical pop-punk emo albums that we encounter. And obviously a lot darker than the pop-punk songs that we usually discuss. The very nature of this concept album provides way more depth to the songs and to the overall narrative, and you're constantly trying to form connections between the overall story and the band's experiences and your own experiences. So, I don't know, it's just sort of a fun exercise to do. I certainly enjoyed it, Keenan. Gerard Way always has had this unique ability to really construct these stories, whether it be on these albums that we've now seen two of, he writes comic books. We discussed before, but the Umbrella Academy was originally his comic book that was then produced as a Netflix show. So it's pretty incredible that he has transcended all these different medias with his ability to just tell good, detailed, relatable, thought-provoking stories. We did mention it in the previous episode that we did on MCR last Halloween, Mike, but it is great to hear that these guys are back together after their breakup several years ago, and they were going to embark on a national and I think maybe an international tour, and it was shut down because of COVID, but it does sound like they 
rescheduled a lot of their tour dates for next year. So I don't know. It would be cool to actually see them live. I feel like it would be fun to experience MCR in all their glory. I think that would be fantastic, Keenan. If you remember, we did already see them live back when they opened for Blink on the Honda Civic Tour in 2011. Even though I loved them back then, I feel like I have a newfound appreciation for them after really diving into these albums. This actually was supposed to be the last album they released as a band. I know Gerard Way had this overall idea of what the My Chemical Romance band would be, and he wanted to cap it off with the Black Parade as we discussed them performing as these alter egos of themselves. They toured for two years after this album came out, and I think they were just really exhausted and done with this gimmick. Their live album's actually called The Black Parade is Dead because they were so excited to be done this part of their careers. So dramatic. Very dramatic. They did go on to release more music eventually, but like you said, they have come and gone and taken breaks at times to, I guess, refuel and let that spark and inspiration strike them when the time is right. And tickets are pricey, but it will be fun to see them on this upcoming tour. See you there, dog. Boy, was that spooky, Mike. Fun, but spooky. Fooky. <laughs> That's what it was. It was fooky. Well, I really hope we didn't scare you guys too much, but I hate to admit, next week might be even spookier. Mike, do you know what's spookier than just vampires? Well, vampires are pretty spooky just on their own, Keenan. Hopefully there's no other spooky groups that are, are joining these vampires. Sorry to say, Mike, but these vampires will be joined by a few other friends. How about zombies, aliens, vampires, and dinosaurs, Mike? Hello. <laughs> Goodbye. Mike, that just so happens to be the name of a very famous album by the pop-punk band Hello Goodbye. Wow, what an organic build-up, Keenan. <laughs> Trust me, that was smooth. I can't wait. I know you actually used to party with these guys back in the day. But more on that next week, Keenan. Until then, hit us up on Gmail, poppunkproj at gmail.com, on Instagram and Twitter <laughs> at poppunkproject, patreon.com slash poppunkproject. <laughs> what, the Gmail thing? <laughs> on Gmail, at Gmail. You know. Uh, I enjoy that. Well, happy Halloween. Everybody make sure that your Halloween baskets are filled with candy that are uh, wrapped. Make sure they're not unwrapped or else they could be poisoned. Drug-free. Drug-free America. Parents, make sure you're checking your children's candy at all times. And have fun. This is the first Halloween back after 
pretty aggressive pandemic. I know it's still raging, but go have some safe fun out there, kids. I definitely hope there's more treats than tricks this Halloween, Keenan. Well, I know you love to turn a good trick there, Mike. I'm a trick daddy. <laughs> uh... Farewell to all my creepy ghouls and gals. We hope you all have the time of your lives. Or time of your deaths. Good readings. <laughs> These are getting worse and worse. It's okay. I love jerking it, Keenan. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I don't care what you do. I'm finding that segment. I don't care how many times you delete it. I'm finding it. I'm putting it at the very end of the episode after the after the, the outro. Love. <laughs> I love jerking it, Keenan. I don't think anybody listens to that. <laughs> no, I don't think anybody listens to this podcast. <laughs> True.